Amen. Sorry for the weird noises. It wasn't me, it was the uh, sound system. Uh, My name is Ben, one of the pastors here at Hope Church. Glad that you're with us. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn or tap your way to the Proverbs. You're going to have to have uh, uh, pretty spry fingers this morning. We're going to be all over the book. It's kind of how Proverbs is organized. If you try and pick a subject and work your way through, well, you're going to be jumping. So, good luck. Follow me however you can. If you don't have a copy of the text, though, we're going to have those scriptures up on the screen for you. And we would love to gift you a copy of the scriptures. I don't know if you've ever given somebody a Bible who doesn't have one. It's a delightful feeling, especially if you know the Bible well. You feel like one of those waiters in a fancy place probably feel when they bring out this perfect meal and they take the cloche off of it and hand it to somebody knowing that person's just going to pee their pants. It's going to be the best thing they've ever eaten. That's what we get to do. We get to hand you a Bible knowing, whew, This is going to fill you up. This is going to make you happy. This is going to give you joy. Now, I I do want to take a moment and say, I know that the word cloche, I know that word. That's what that metal dome is that you pull off. I didn't have to look it up for this illustration. I already knew that uh, beforehand. You're welcome. This is the kind of quality you can expect from Hope Church. Uh, But we would love to get you a copy on the way out. As we continue thinking about what the proverb says about the wise way to live, it's not always... um, The easy way to live is certainly not the straightforward way to live. We have to kind of check ourselves. We have to constantly be looking at the distance, the distinction between where our heart naturally wants to kind of flow and where we have to go if we're going to live wisely. We've been thinking about lots of different topics to this point. Last week, we talked about what we're doing with our money And we're understanding that, not just as a way to kind of poke you in the side and get you to give more to Hope Church. The idea is to understand how you use your will, your power in the world, to affect the world. That's what money is. It's your ability to say to the world, do. And if you give enough money, they do. And what do you do with that will? What do you do with that power? Today, I want us to think about something that comes up constantly in the Proverbs, which is the idea of work. It's not just what do you do with your money. There's also a big element in the scripture about how you're supposed to compose your day, your week, your month, your working life, so that you are diligent rather than slothful. Fun word. Sluggard is the name we get throughout the Proverbs. We're using that word a lot today. But the concept is lazy. The question is not what, what are we doing or why are we doing it? Today's question is why do we have to do it now? It's the procrastinator question. Yes, we're definitely going to do that. That is a really great idea tomorrow. You think that, you feel that, we experience that all the time, but, but why? How do we pull ourselves away from it? The way that the scriptures teach us to do that is by having a very clear picture of two different people. The one that you want to be like and the one that you don't want to be like. The picture that we get in the Proverbs of the one who is diligent and the picture we get in the Proverbs of the one who is the sluggard, lazy. And if you're trying to understand the wisdom that we get from the Proverbs, he's telling us the way that the world works. That if you work with it, you gain the blessings of it. But if you work against it, it's God's system and you can't get outside it. If you work against it, you'll be crushed 
buy it. There's only two real ways to interact with God's world. If you do it His way, if you follow His commands, then you become one who flows with that system. You start to regain your posture, your position as an image bearer. One who is called by God to slowly reflect Him, His person, more and more fully out in the world. That you are given greater and greater scope to fill and subdue the world. If in humility you submit to him in his way, he makes you a maker in the earth. But if you don't, you can break a thousand different ways. If you don't, the slothful way of breaking is sort of like mushing. One of the shows that I'm into right now is called Clarkson's Farm. It's on uh, Amazon Prime. And this British television personality has a farm. He's bought it. He's not a farm guy, but he's going to try and farm it. And you watch in this show the sort of fails and foibles of this funny guy as he tries to make a farm work. And he has a little potato crop, and he doesn't have his store ready to sell yet. So they go through the process of harvesting the potatoes. They put these giant sort of uh, bins of potatoes into a barn to try and keep them as long as they can before they, they get their store ready and they can try and sell the potatoes. And the farm manager man comes by at one point and he picks up the potatoes and he says, hey, we got to sell these. Look, we got to sell the ones that are good. You're already losing a lot of your crop. Look. And he shows how the potatoes have become mush. Some of them have already started to turn. And that process of turning was to take this healthy, sturdy, starchy potato and become mush. And in his hand, he wasn't a strong man, in his hand he just went boop and it fell apart. And that picture has stayed with me because I was thinking about this sermon, but also because that's what the sluggard becomes. The inaction and the lack of any kind of discipline, the lack of activity, the lack of um, understanding how God's world works and working with it, you slowly just sort of decompose. And the way that we're going to fight against that is to understand it clearly. I want us to see it as clearly as God shows it in Scripture, so that we can want to be the one and not the other. We can identify practices that will lead us to be the one and start to fight against tendencies that will take us towards the other. So what we're going to do first is we're going to see the sluggard. We're going to understand what the Scripture says about him. The sluggard is first fearful. You don't think of procrastinators as fearful, Generally, when I want to be a procrastinator and I'm thinking of them in like a positive light, I think of them in like island time kind of life. If you've been around people like that and you just think, what would it be like to hakuna matata your kind of way through the world and just always be deadline free? That's not the picture of the lazy, though. If you are, and I'm not saying whatever about island life. I'm telling you, though, if you are lazy, you don't necessarily become carefree. It says in Proverbs 26, 13, the sluggard says... There's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. Now, the first time and probably the 55th time that I've read that, I just thought, okay, and you just read the next proverb because what does that mean? But you look in another place in Proverbs 28.1. It says, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And now we're starting to understand 
Then, if you hold both of those in your heart and go through your life, what is it like when you actually don't do what you're supposed to do and you feel the ever-increasing stress and shame of unmet expectations? What's it like to have those stress dreams? Have you ever had those? Where you're walking into class and you haven't done the assignment? My stress dream is that it's right now and I don't have any notes. That's my stress dream. Welcome to my nightmare. Because if you don't do what you're supposed to do, if you don't do the work that you're supposed to do, the consequences of those unmet tasks are just sort of floating over you like a cloud. And the fear that comes with that creates in you this jumpiness. You ever shut a door too hard and watch somebody jump? And then you go, ooh, guilty conscience, right? Why? Because if you have a guilty conscience, you're waiting for the consequences of that sin to catch you. You're running and someone is chasing you everywhere you go. This is the product of that slothful living, is that you start to gain that concept that there's a lion in the streets, there's a lion in the road, there's a a crunching behind me, the padding softly of a predator, the consequences of my inaction coming to get me. It seems like putting off the task will make you happier, and yet it says here that the slothful person is fearful. The slothful person is stuck. It says in Proverbs 15, 19, the way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. Again, Proverbs 26, 15, the sluggard buries his hands in the dish and it it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Can you see what that's like? The picture is that this inaction slowly builds And the world of this sluggard has slowly um, thickened. He's not walking through the world like we walk through air. He's walking through the world like we might walk through water or something even thicker. That the inaction slowly builds. It creates this sort of crust, this atrophy, this rust on his hinges. And it's slowly harder and harder to do something when he's ready to do it. His way is filled up with thorns. How do you even get past it? The thing that he needs, the food that he should be eating, he can't. Why? Well, he's too tired to even bring the food from the dish to his mouth. Do you see what it's saying? There's a corrupting influence. There's a mushing that happens as we engage in that laziness. It's not something to be winked at. It's not something to be enjoyed because, hey, you can work from home now. (laughs) You can just kind of do whatever you want. No, no, no. The diligent, and we'll talk more about that in a moment, should be shining through you right now and giving you the joy and the peace that comes with it. Instead, if we choose that laziness, if we go that route of the sluggard, then it builds on itself. That task that you put off does not become easier to do tomorrow seems like it would be. You certainly tell yourself that it will be. I've thought about that before. Future Ben hates current Ben. Because <laughs> current Ben is filling up future Ben's to-do list all the time. If you put it off, it doesn't get easier to do. It hurts. The sluggard is fearful. 
The sluggard is stuck. The sluggard is hungry. It says in other places here, Proverbs 24, the sluggard doesn't know how to plow in the autumn. So uh, he doesn't plow in the autumn, and then he still seeks at harvest and doesn't have anything. Proverbs 21, 25, the desire of the sluggard kills him because his hands refuse to labor. It says in 24, 33 and 34, and this is what pounds in my head all the time, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber. Want like an armed man. Do you see what it's saying? This is the most clear thing you can get in Scripture. I think often we have a hard time sharing the gospel with people because you think, how do you show them that it's true? You dig into apologetics and historical argument, and hey, amen, there's a wonderful uh, set of things there for you to say to people that should show them the historical validity of the resurrection or the historical reliability of the Scriptures. Make those arguments. Go for it. But it doesn't often capture people right in the belly. It doesn't often capture people right in the soul. What can be more attractive, what can be harder to argue against, is gravity. Just straight wisdom, where the Bible tells you, if you do A, you will get B. If you do C, you will get D. And we live a life that shows that wisdom and becomes compelling to a world that watches and says, not you are perfect, but you have something. You've tapped into some sort of a way that is making for you the world kind of work. I think this is obvious, this is clear, that if you will work, you will have something from that work. If you won't, then poverty comes upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Stuck, foolish, hungry, uh, fearful. But the foolish, uh, the, the sluggard is also foolish. It says in Proverbs twenty six sixteen that the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. That's really true biblically, isn't it? Anytime you go to sin, you're walking across how many different warnings. If you're a believer, every time you go to sin, you're walking across how many different times where you have covenanted never to do that again, and then you do it. This is happening all the time. We're rejecting this wisdom, and we're becoming like that mushy potato. So, stop it. (laughs) Don't do that. See that sluggard, identify where he started to kind of work his little tendrils into your life and cut it off. Instead, let's be like the diligent, the person who embraces work. We're going to be really clear about the Sabbath. The Sabbath is true and the Sabbath is good. And I kind of need to preach on it more because I preached on it and people were kind of like waking up to it. Some people thought it was really good and some people were like, I think that could be good. I'm having a really hard time with the idea of it, yada, yada. We need to think about it more. But the concept of the Sabbath is one day of rest and then six days of work. And in the summertime, we've got our kids, you know, they're around a lot more. And I took my kids somewhere. They're going to have fun today. You're going to have fun today? Yeah, you're going to have fun, Daddy? Well, I'm going to work today. And I'm trying to figure out how I help them see that work is not fun in the same way that a playground is fun. (laughs) But work is still good. I'm going to show you a little bit of why it's good. 
It says in Proverbs 13, 11, that wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. This is this concept of a, a slow and steady daily. Proverbs 21, 5 says, the plans of the diligent surely lead to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. This is the get-rich-quick sort of scheme. Uh, Mark Twain was really famous for a lot of different things, certainly his wit, a lot of his literature, but also for his constantly kind of getting taken in to these get-rich-quick schemes that would kind of take over in different parts of the country. Have you done that? Have you gotten into it? Or are you plodding, embracing work in the daily task of slowly changing into something helpful? into something useful, into something that is part of his kingdom. It is certainly messy, but it is worth it. Proverbs 14.4 says, Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Now, I don't know how many of you are farmers, but what he's saying is, if you want to get something done, you're going to have to get messy. Oxen help you to accomplish a lot of work. They also create a little bit of stink. But if you're willing to deal with the one, you can have the other. Have your eyes open about what it is that makes you want to be a sluggard instead of the diligent. It's going to be hard. It's going to be stinky. It's going to be something that's, that's requiring you to just constantly get over all the small hurdles that come up. And yet, if we will, we do become something more like what God made us to be. I read a book this week by a lady named Diane Langberg. Very helpful Christian biblical counselor thinking a lot about really, really awful situations with people. She talks about part of the problem that happens when somebody gets victimized is that they kind of get broken in a way uh, where they've had their power taken from them. In that moment, they've, they've had their ability to choose taken away. And she talks about how the biblical counselor has got to have in his or her head exactly the picture of what we should be that we're calling people back to. And God does give us the ability to do. Here's a quote from Diane. She says, The voice of God spoke everything into existence. He entered history as the Word made flesh. To be created in His image is to have a self that projects itself into the world. To be in his image is to have voice, creative expression, thought, and will brought to bear on this world. God has called us to rule and to subdue. Those are power words. They mean to go and have impact, to go and make things happen, to go and grow, to go and create, to go and change things. If we are diligent, if we will work, we're gaining something back again of what God has made us to be. He has made us to go out and to subdue, to go out and to rule. You think about when God made the original Garden of Eden, it was a garden. And the whole of the world outside of it was meant to be sort of subsumed by that garden. That Adam and Eve would have lots of little gardeners and that over time those gardeners would continue to multiply. There would be many, many gardeners and the garden would get expanded. That this perfect picture of how God thought things should be in Eden would get expanded to cover all of the world. He has still made us to go about that work. Yes, it's a fallen world, and so now instead of gardening, which, you know, have fun as a hobby, 
Instead of gardening, our goal is to make the whole of the world start to look again like people who are reconnected with God. And of course, that's kind of the break in all of this. You know, we need the gospel in order to understand this, and we'll get to that in a moment. It's hard to continue to give you like do's and don'ts without getting to the gospel. We're going to get to it in a moment. But understand that if we will be diligent, we will eat well. It says in Proverbs 10, 4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. 12, 24, the hand of the diligent will rule while the slothful will be put to forced labor. 13, 4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. If you will be diligent, you will be rewarded. Now, if you look out into the world, you'll see that a lot of people have chosen that lifestyle. It's not like people who have been redeemed slowly start to work harder and everybody else that's out in the world doesn't work at all. We know that's not true. If you go and meet lots and lots of people who have no concept of who Christ is or do know who Christ is and have rejected him, you're going to find lots of people who are still very busy. We talked some about productivity experts last week. Those productivity experts are not all Christians. They're people who are paid well because they work hard, and so they're figuring out how to work harder. It's crazy to think, but it's absolutely true, that if you will go from somebody who procrastinates and someone who's slothful to someone who is diligent and works really hard, the enemy will also change on a dime and begin to use you in a different way. If you sharpen yourself and become effective, if you become somebody who has hardened muscles and more subtle and helpful ways of thinking, the enemy will then begin to tempt you in a different way. You're still a tool, and you're still a tool in his hand. You've just become a tool in a different way. Yeah, it's possible to get richly supplied. Yes, it's possible to rule and to be rich. But let me ask you again what the direction of all of this is. The means of change that we have only comes from the Father. If you're wanting to be the person that shifts from the sluggard to the diligent, you still have to go to the gospel. If you're somebody who's diligent and wants to be doing it for something greater than just yourself and these kind of endless um, seeking after desires that will never satisfy, you still have the same solution. You're somebody who wants to change. Look at Ephesians 4.28. It says it really beautifully. It says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. See, you get in the Old Testament, it seems like in some places, and that's not the case. There's a lot of redemptive elements in the Old Testament, but it seems like in some places... That you're either a bad guy and the hammer of God's wrath is going to crush you in the head. Or you're a good guy and you don't even have to do much. And God's going to wipe out these waves of enemies that come against you. And so you're either one or the other. And uh uh-oh, if you're not one of the good guys. But the whole of the Bible is instead teaching a totally different story. That God has not come just to find the diligent and help them become more diligent. He's instead come to find the thieves and teach them to labor. 
Man, it is impossible, and I'll tell you, it's really stressful to preach on this. Because it takes a week and a half, two weeks to get ready for this sermon. And the whole time you're thinking to yourself, are you living what you're about to preach? Every 12 seconds, you're thinking to yourself, is that the best way I could have used that last 12 seconds? Am I not really folding my hands a little too often? Resting a little too much? And yes, I should seek, your pastors as a, as a church, we should seek to lead you by example rather than just word. And yet, the example of Christianity is not perfection. The example of the Christian is redemption. The picture is of Christ taking those who are far from him, those who have chosen to live a life working against God and his system, and instead redeem them into those who through humility are learning to be conformed to the image of his son. The process whereby that takes place is what we have to focus on. If you're convinced that the sluggard is not a way to live and you're nervous that you may have your feet firmly planted in that camp, then what you need is the grace of God to woo you away from it. If you're on the other side and you are very diligent and you've loved this sermon because the whole time you're thinking about how you get up earlier than other people you know, you still are enduring the same level of pain. It's come in a different way, but the Pharisees were really busy. And yet their, their righteousness hardened their heart. They lived with the same kind of effects of working against God rather than with him. What we need instead is to be changed by him. That Langberg book was another horrible part of my week. It was a really helpful book, but this poor woman's practice, her whole biblical counseling practice is with people who have been victimized in extreme ways. It's a lot of rape. It's a lot of child abuse, sexual abuse. She's even traveling around to different places where genocide has taken place. She's going to Rwanda. Spent a lot of time in the kind of post-9-11 area after terrorist attacks. And she's talking with people who've experienced some of the most extreme evil that the world's ever seen. And as the book continues, she says at one point, like, how do you be somebody who continues to deal with people who have dealt with this? It's a whole thing. It's a phenomenon. It's called secondary trauma. It's the idea that if you love somebody who's going through something really rough, you start to take their pain. That's something that God's built. It's the way that we're connected. But if you do that professionally, and you do it out of love rather than just sort of as an automaton, as a robot, you start to take a lot of pain. You start to take a lot of hits. If you go from some, being somebody who's very slothful to somebody who's very diligent in kingdom work, you're going to then start to take on a lot of different responsibilities for the kingdom, and they're going to start to weigh you down. And the solution, it's the solution for all these problems. She points out in a really beautiful moment in Scripture. In the Gospel of John, Jesus waits. He's healing people all the time. And yet when he hears about a friend of his who is very sick, sick unto death, he waits and lets this guy Lazarus die. Then he goes. John 11, we have the conversation he has with the sister and the conversation he has with the other sister, conversation he has with the disciples before he even gets there. We have him weeping at the tomb. 
And then we have him speaking. Lazarus, get up. If you remember, Pastor Nick preached on this a couple months ago. And Lazarus gets up. And he comes out of the tomb, and he's still got his grave clothes on. That's what they kind of wrapped up a, a dead body in in old times, where they would put all these spices and stuff on him. And so you can imagine that he's coming out, and he probably looks like a mummy. He's all wrapped up in bandages as he's kind of waddling his way out. Now, I'm sure anybody's excited to get out of the grave. Not probably the coolest way to walk out of the grave. He doesn't get to do it like a magician or something emerging. He has to kind of waddle his way out. And then Jesus tells the people to take the, get the grave clothes off of him. He's free. And this Langberg lady, she really focuses in on that one moment because she's clear, and it's just true, that God, Jesus, as he's raising this guy from the dead, could have given Lazarus a fabulous new set of clothing to go with his fabulously new working liver or lungs or whatever failed him when he died. But he didn't. He instead invites the people around Lazarus to come and remove those last little vestiges of death off of him. She's saying that what we're doing is not raising people from the dead. We can't do that. That's God's job. Of course it's going to crush us if we try to live as though it is our job. If instead, though, we trust God to do what he does and we come alongside him, doing the things, the little things that he's left over for us to do as we walk along people and help pull death off of them and give them life in Christ, then we get the only thing that can really change us, which is a connection to the love of God shown us in Christ. I don't know if you guys are big classical music buffs. I'm not. But I read this in a thing. <laughs> I was talking about Bach. He's a German guy. He's a German composer. And in one of his arias, he has this point where he has uh, this, this sentence. It says, the cross, I will, the cross staff gladly carry. It comes from God's loving hand. It leads me after my torments to God to the promised land. Now, again, I don't know how much poetry affects you. But the word that he used there is called cross staff. He was a German guy. He wrote it in German. And the German word for cross staff is Kreuzstab. You got to yell it. Kreuzstab doesn't just mean cross. It also does mean staff. And he uses the, the kind of double meaning of that word in a helpful way. He's saying not only is it the thing on which Christ died, it's also the thing on which we lean. If you are a procrastinator, a slothful person, your sin is not only hurting you, it's also you thinking that you get to decide how you live your life. It's another element of, another symptom of our rebellion against God. If you want to change, you don't just need a productivity book or a kick in the pants every now and again. You don't need mom to nag or wife to poke. You need to be changed radically by a love that only comes from him. To lean on the cross, that picture of his love for us, that he can change even us. As he does, man, I can't wait to see what happens.
Lord God and Heavenly Father, we pray right now that you would make us a people who work, really work, hard work. That we start doing the Sabbath thing and looking into it and figuring it out because we really need it, because we really are working. But Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just be more productive. I pray that we would work because. Because you've wooed us, because you've called us, because you've shown us who you are in your love. That we choose a better way because it's coming from your mouth, from your life. Lord, I do pray that you would bless us today. Teach us your ways for our good and for your glory. pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen.